You're listening to EG News, the podcast, the official podcast of the East Greenwich News publication produced by Nova Pro Media. Please visit eastgreenwichnews.com and join our newsletter so you can stay up to date with everything going on in our community. While you're at it, don't forget to hit that subscribe or follow button on this podcast so you can be notified every time we upload a new episode. And as always, don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. And now, here's the show. Hi everyone, it's Elizabeth McNamara with East Greenwich News, and I'm here today with Joni Hinman, my co-host. Hello, friend. And hello, friend. Um, and Jesse Tolpot, the controls, our other friend. Hi, friend. <laughs> anyway, it's like are. a Quaker moment. Yeah, it is. We're gonna have a moment of we're gonna have 30 minutes of silence. No, we aren't. We're gonna keep talking. It is a cool February day, and. Um, What's been in the news lately? We're starting with a news roundup, and then we're going to segue into an interview with John Dower, who is an authority on the 1st Black Regiment. And we're doing that in February, kind of in honor of Black History Month. And, well, and the local connection as well. The yeah, unbelievable local connection since it was founded here in East Greenwich. We'll hear more about that in, in a little bit. But first, we thought we'd start with some of the topics we've been reading about and writing about. That's for sure. I mean... Talk about a hot topic, and you've been following this closely, Elizabeth. So give us the latest on the school committee and town council, and have they come together now with a plan for the they, school they bond? They have. As of today's Tuesday, as of Monday night, there was a joint meeting that had already been scheduled to um, discuss next year's budget but the two heads of each of the town council, Mark Schwager and Allison Powell from the school committee, read a joint statement. They kind of tag-teamed this statement, basically outlining how they are going to work together um, going forward. This follows last week's kerfuffle over, and everybody has a different opinion about what started what, but the bottom line is that it's that this project, this big construction project, $150 million to build a new school at Frenchtown and massively renovate Hannaford and fix up Meadowbrook for for pre-K and pre-K and K and do a lot of good stuff at the high school. Basically, who's really in charge when it comes down to it? And, and that was the question put forth from Superintendent Brian Ricca, yeah. right? It was state. a little more than a question. It was, it was a of, request. It was a request. Um, and um, he's allowed to do that, but when the town council heard about it, just not even two weeks ago, um, they were like, wait a minute, wh- why are you asking that question to ride? And Because the, the, the request was that the school committee have the final say-so. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. And turns out, surprise, it's complicated. Um, ride spells out that the schools have a lot of authority in this area. The school district would have a lot of authority. But the bond language from the General Assembly said that the town got to make certain decisions um, and really what it comes down to is the school committee is, is its own um, legislative authority or it has its own authority gr- granted to it from the, from the state, just like the town council does. But the school committee gets its money from the town council. Town council is the only 
holds the purse strings, kind of like Congress, I guess. But so that makes this weird imbalance where the school committee has to answer to the state for a lot of it, its mandates and all this kind of stuff, but they need the town council for the money. So there's always a challenge in that relationship. It could be simple checks and balances, ideally, but it can also lead to some confusion. And this is certainly where we are. And the problem was that the town council decided to stop everything by voting um, to deny this application that needs to get to the state in order for the state to give us a higher reimbursement on the expenses. And very close to the deadline, a couple of weeks from the deadline, and yes. with the potential of losing out on, what was it, 20% of the money? 20%, which is comes out to about $30 million. Yeah. Um, the idea is you bond for that 150 but the state's going to, could potentially reimburse more than half of that. If you meet um, certain criteria, and that's why they have criteria. to submit a plan, so that it can be, check, this one's done, check, exactly. this one's in. Exactly. You've been reading EG News, I think. <laughs> you know what? I really would be lost without it. I'm Honestly. <laughs> no, but really, who, no, who else is covering it? You know? Fair, fair. Uh, you know, there are people who post to Facebook, but I, I do think that we are providing a valuable service there. You too. Um, not everybody was happy with my article, though. So that first article I have followed up now today, there's a new article on our site um, outlining what happened last night when the, when the town council and the school committee came together and basically said, we are going to work together and we have a plan for how this oversight will look um, but they haven't released it yet. We might see it Thursday. But they're going to make the deadline now. They're going to be able to submit well, something. I mean, to be honest, it's not over till the till it's over. And um, um, they are the town council is due to vote on Thursday on that stage two. If they vote, the school committee has already voted. Then it will go to ride. Is ride ever going to answer that letter from well, Superintendent you know, Ricca? Great question. And guess what? I forgot to ask that last night. So well, it's, I they're not obligated to, right? Wasn't it something like, oh, they put it, you know, they might consider it for 60 days and then right. may not answer anyway. Right. Um, and maybe because of this. So I, I, there, I have an email, even as we speak, into Superintendent Ricka asking him exactly what happens now with that request. So um, I can't answer that particular question, but... Um, you may have answered it by the time people listen to this. It was, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah I would hope you know, so. That's the problem with doing a news update. It's like, it's so no. dynamic. I know, right? it is dynamic, but ironic. I mean, so last week was just a weird week. Monday, this happened at the school committee, I mean, a town council meeting where the town council proclaimed that the, the school committee had gone behind their back and... Whether you know, and they there was some um, amount of outrage at that meeting, and it just so happened the preceding um, thing on the agenda had it featured um, Matt Oliverio, who is the former school lawyer, was at that meeting representing a completely actually representing the town council in this show cause hearing. But it was just an odd coincidence because he was our solicitor for like 19 years. And so he went through that whole school thing. Um, and then on Wednesday, I had had a prearranged lunch with former school committee chair, Jean Ann Giuliano, back from the cold days, 
because we had gotten together after Bob Hodling died, and we said, hey, we got to get lunch, you know? Bob's not going to bring us together anymore. We got to do this. And I found, I found myself thrust back in time with, with these two associations. So it, back in 2008, the school committee signed the contracts. This time? This was for coal. For the coal project. I which won't was, bring up the lack of air conditioning because I think I do that every time. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> air conditioning. Let's not make that mistake. I don't think we're going to, especially with... Uh, it's so hot in yeah. there. It's really hot in there. And maybe, I. well, never yeah. mind. I'm not going to speak. We're not going to speak of that no, anymore. No. But anyway, so that's that's the latest as of um, February 6th. Um, maybe everything will be different in a week. I want to ask you something about what you mentioned at the top, which was that not everybody was happy with your initial story. Do you have a thick skin? I've gotten a thicker skin. Have you? You know, what it is, is I honestly, I mean, I, you know, I'll be candid. I am 63. I didn't get into the local reporting or the reporting gig until I was 50, 49. I did copy editing. I, I was kind of ancillary, but I wasn't actually boots on the ground reporter. And I have to admit, I think I needed to be a little older and feel a little more confident because people question, you know, are you doing it right? Are you, are you, are you wrong? And, and a lot of times when people would say something early on, especially, they'd say, you got that wrong. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I got that wrong. I better issue an apology. Yeah. yeah. Without thinking it through. And then I'd, you know, I'd take a step back and I'd be like, actually that wasn't wrong. And I understand that that person isn't happy with what that was. And, and occasionally I do, yes, or it was wrong. And I can say, yeah, I right. was wrong. And, and You can evaluate that. it instead of having a knee-jerk reaction of, if they say I'm wrong, I'm probably wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't have a, an entire newsroom backing me up, but, um, you know, I've got, um, I've got some people I can run it by. And, You've got a good and I've team. I've got a nice team now, yeah. which is really great. We, we bat things around in our team meetings. Um, and that's been a, a real, a real joy. And I might reach out to an old colleague if it's a tough, tough story, and just say, hey, what do you think? If there's time. Not always time, either. Um, I do try my best. Um, and this time, I found, you know, it was a little frustrating. The school committee really didn't want to comment publicly about this. And and a lot so of people a wanted, of a, a lot of people really wanted specifics, too. Yeah. Exactly what did you know at exactly what point, yeah. and specifically yeah. what was said to you. Yeah, I yeah. know. So that was... That was hard, and you just keep trying to, a lot of my work is building trust, and sometimes you build a lot of trust, and then maybe you lose some trust. One and of the things that, that always brings you a lot of uh, readers, just to switch gears, is uh, the police log, of course, mm -hmm. and I was surprised to read about the recent double break-in from a single individual from New Hampshire, the surprising part being the Wild West aspect of it, that in the two homes that he broke into, in each case, somebody pulled a gun on him. Yeah, the homeowner ha was armed, and not only that, was able to access the gun in a timely fashion. One of them had a, um, a holster on their leg. Yeah. And um, a cat on their calf. And um, um, so, um, you know... Uh, they, the, on the other side of Route 2, maybe you're feeling a little more remote, or maybe people all over town do have guns. Um, nothing 
Um, the man was arrested. I'm sure it was traumatic for both sets of homeowners. Oh, yeah. Um, the first homeowner, the gun actually did go off, but it seems that was a mistake. And um, he immediately, according to the police, took it, you know, um, unloaded the gun, laid it down, waited for the police because the guy had then run away and he ran over to Shippy, Shippy Town and... Um, and tried again? Tried again. And, you know... Um, I think it was a mental health issue. Um, you know, he tried to break through a glass door and then did break through and surprise, got really cut in the process. And that must have been truly terrifying for whoever was inside that house. Um, no doubt about it. Pol Luckily, he didn't put up a fight, it seems. When the police came, he pretty much just, they said, lie down. He lay down. Um, I don't know if we'll ever know the full story on on why he did that. He's from New Hampshire. What was he doing here? How did he end up at East Greenwich? You know, did he come off of Route 95, you know, onto Division Road? Because the first place was off Justin Road, which is right, right across from Faith Hill Farm. And then Shippy Town is right up there. So, um, scary. Yeah, really something. One more topic before we uh, wait for our guest. What's happening with liquor licenses in the downtown area? Not a good question? No, it's a it's a good question. It's been a little lively. It's always lively at the end of the year because that's when, by state law, all liquor licenses um, expire on November 30th. And so the town clerk's office is very busy kind of working with in, um, entities to get them through the process. It's all online now, and but they have to. One of the things I have to show is a tax, a tax certificate from the state saying yes, you, you Main Street Bar have, have paid all your state taxes, um, and that will give the town. You know, that's usually the place where they trip up. And sure enough, um, the patio and. Downtown Tilly's did not, after repeated extensions, still did not have their tax certificates um, a week ago Monday. So the town council basically did not renew those licenses. Now, the patio since has has re-upped for their license. They, they said at the meeting it was going to be ready, and sure enough, in a couple days it was. They have um, reapplied for a license, and that will go through that normal process. Um, Downtown Tilly's, however, um, police found that they were serving alcohol without a license. They had a couple of servers come forward, yeah. right? And they had a couple of servers come forward at the um, to um, at the town council meeting. In fact, to say, yeah, that happened, and we kept asking. And I, I mean, I've gotten sandwiches from downtown Tilly's. It was delicious. Uh, I think everybody in town kind of really liked them. They got a lot of nice press statewide. So I'm not sure what happened there. It's, it's too bad. They're closed for now. Last time I had heard they are hoping to reopen and, um, we are hoping that they can do that. Is there a cap on establishments with liquor licenses? You know, in there Greenwich? is and there isn't. Okay. There is a cap. It's a little loose. Well, there's a cap. So if let's say there's 30 licenses. Once you hit 30, if a new place comes in and wants a new license, they have to apply for one. But then the town has to raise, the town council has to raise the cap. Used to be a little more casual. Now they go through three readings of an ordinance because they have to revise the ordinance to say, now we're going to have 31. 
it's not at all impossible. It happens. Just a little more of a process. So there's no hard and fast, we only have this many liquor licenses and then we're done. But And that's our news roundup. And that's now. our news roundup. We're gonna we're gonna take a quick pause, and and we'll be back with uh, John Dowler. Hi, everyone. We're back with East Greenwich News Podcast, and Joni and I are talking with John Dower today, and he is the president of Smith's Castle, or if I can get it right, Cocum Sussex. No association. It was Help me out. Pretty close. Cocum Scusic. Scusic. Yeah. yeah, it just took off the top. You were closer than All most that people. Cocum Elizabeth. Yeah, you know, so I got close. nervous. I got nervous. I think I, my nerves took over there. What, what does that word mean, John? Uh, Narragansett word. There's actually two possible uh, translations for it. We generally go with the land of marshy meadows because that's what the area surrounding Smith's, Smith's Castle, Castle looks it, like. For, for those of you who don't know, that's in North Kingstown, right on Post Road. It's just a gem of of a house. Um, that's not exactly why we brought you in today, but nope. we do want to hear about what's the other definition for. Um, Jagged rocks, mm-hmm. and out in front of the shoreline, there are a lot of pointed rocks out there. So, mm-hmm. could be either one. Who knows? Grassy or jagged? Hmm. We're Both apply sure. yeah. really to the property. Yeah. So, John, you are uh, an expert on the first black regiment, and that's why you're here to talk with us today. How did you get interested in that topic? That that's a great question. I'm glad you led off with that. Uh, two of the enslaved men that lived at Smith's Castle earned their freedom by enlisting in the Continental Army. So that's what brought it in. Oh. And then a good friend of mine, uh, Bob Geek, that's a historian at Smith's Castle, wrote a book several years ago on it, and he kind of encouraged me. And I said, you know what, I want to find out who all the men were that, that were in it. So I, I'm the process of writing a book. I've got most of the research done oh, wow. and about half of the writing, and it follows all 189 of the of the men that were the originals in the so-called Black Regiment. And was that indigenous persons also? Yes. Uh, great question. And um, the term Black Regiment was used at the time. It's historically correct. Uh, and in no way is it a slight against the indigenous people. It's actually a, a better story for the indigenous people and not such a good story for uh, people of African descent. By the time these men formed this regiment, most of the uh, indigenous people that had been in, enslaved in decades before were no longer enslaved. There were laws that came into effect that prevented the enslavement of people of an indigenous uh, ancestry. So uh, numbers bear out that the vast majority of the men, and I followed uh, all 189, tried to identify their race. So I've been through literally hundreds of documents trying to find an identification Hmm. for the race of each man. And of the 189 men, 
almost a hundred of them were identified as black. And black was a term used in that time period. Mm -hmm. um, so indigenous men, I identified 11. So when people saw this unit marching and they had, mm -hmm. they were uh, pretty uh, obvious going down the, down the street marching, what would stand out to them is that it was mostly men of African descent. Was there a financial incentive for the slave owners to to add their men to the ranks? There was. the the uh, The funny part about that is some of the um, slave owners were okay with that. Others were not. They thought that number was too low. What was the number? Um, they paid 120 pounds was the maximum price that they paid per enslaved man that enlisted. And um, the, In other words, the people who owned, in quotes, these enslaved people were paid by the... By uh, Rhode Island. By Rhode Island, the yeah. state of Rhode Island. Yep. 120 pounds. Yeah, they called it compensation was the right. was the word they even used then. And when I mentioned that 120, most of the men were in their prime age and their owners were compensated 120 pounds. But one of the sad stories I found in researching this was a man whose uh, enslaver was paid 30 pounds, and it turned out this was a an, an old, a fragile old man that they eventually gave a medical discharge, but he wanted his freedom so bad, he was willing to, oh. to grab a gun and do what he could, and they let him, he was in for a few months before they finally said, no, we, we got to let you go. I uh, Can you just talk about the time period, because when I first heard about Rhode Island First Black Regiment, I just assumed... Right went to the Civil War. Civil War, I most just people assumed. do. Yep. And when I began to, you know, when I really understood we're talking <clears throat> the Revolutionary War, you know, what is that, 75, 80 years before? Correct. Um, yep. That's extraordinary. And it, it was founded here in East Greenwich, correct? Right. Um, the first use of men of color was by the British. It, go, it goes back to... Um, Maryland Royal Governor Lord Dunmore in his proclamation that any enslaved men that uh, that were owned by Americans that came forward would be given their freedom to fight for the British. So they really were the first uh, the first ones that uh, would would have been called a black regiment. Um, but fighting for England. Fighting for England, yeah, for the other team. Um, so this was somewhat uh, unique in that the Americans hadn't hadn't tried this before. But it came about because uh, Rhode Island was not able to fill their quota for the Continental Line. Uh, all of the states were given quotas by the Continental Congress, and Rhode Island had difficulties, as did most of the colonies. But then Rhode Island had another problem. They had the British right over in Newport that were raiding the mm. mainlands on the East Bay and West Bay. So um, two problems for Rhode Island, trying to fill these numbers and... And, and dealing with... De defending, yeah. Yeah, defending. And 
Um, how did it come that it was East Greenwich, that it was founded here? I mean, that was James, General James Varnum. Right. Major General James Varnum. Yep. But can you talk a bit about him? Oh, yeah. Probably would not have been a black regiment if he hadn't written a letter to uh, General Washington. Uh, a lot of communication took place over the these years between different uh, government officials in the different states and the different military officials on how are we going to get these numbers. We cannot beat the British without the numbers. Um, James Mitchell Varnum wrote this letter in January of 1778 to General Washington, and in it he says... Uh, and I quote, it is imagined that a battalion of Negroes can be raised there. Uh, there, meaning Rhode Island, uh, that was, that planted the seed. But the funny thing is, if you read this whole letter, that line doesn't stand out on its own. It's almost as if uh, General Varnum said it in passing and thought that it would be ignored by, by uh, Washington. And then he also suggests that it's not my idea. We got together with some officers and somebody said this might be a way of filling the ranks. But Washington bit and he sent a letter to the officials in Rhode Island. They put it in front of the General Assembly. And where was the General Assembly meeting? Right here in East Greenwich. Oh, at our own now town hall. Correct. Exactly. Wow. Yep. Yep, because they had the rotating sessions of the General Assembly at that time, so East Greenwich happened to be up. But even beyond that, I think geographically it was a very central location to uh, recruit any men and bring them somewhere to train them. So that's probably geography and the luck of the rotation uh, brought these... And well, and General Varnum himself lived across the street from that town hall, so or then the capital uh, courthouse, courthouse, courthouse yep. yeah. So, um, and and how many? I think how many black people were living in Rhode Island? What was the population of the state at that point? Okay, the total population from the 1774 census was just under sixty thousand. Uh, People identified as black in that 1774 census uh, numbered just under 3,600, and uh, indigenous was just under 1,500. So people of color represented about 6.5%. Now, some areas, including the plantations in South Kingstown and North Kingstown, and Newport still at that time, had populations of black people that were in the double digits and at some periods of time they were close to 20 percent so uh, what was the impact uh, of those 186 people joining the black regiment as far as the work that still remained uh, that's why the uh, the act was repealed by June 10th there was uh, so much complaining and controversy over Wow. So, so when was the act made? And then February 14th, 1778, and then it was huh. repealed. Actually, in March is when they, I believe they passed the repeal before the end of March, but they said it would 
it would go in effect on June 10th. June 10th is when the last that's, enslaved man enlisted. That's pretty interesting. Well, so, but for those months. people who did join during those months, was the commitment to free them honored or no? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it, well, they had to stay in till the end of the war. Their commitment, their term, was for the duration of the war, for the enslaved men. Now, of those 189 men, 60-some um, of them were free. 125 were actually enslaved. So what you had was veterans that had been uh, part of the Continental Line going back as far as 1775. And uh, so those men totaled 40-something, and then 19 other free men got mm. swept up in the recruitment efforts of enlisting the enslaved men. So you bring all of those numbers together, and it was 189 formed the original group of men known as the Black Regiment. Boy, you've been digging deep. Uh, yeah, I've, I've spent a couple hours looking at it. <laughs> what has surprised you? Has there been anything that you have found that you want to share that has just been flabbergasting? Yeah, well, one story that took place here in East Greenwich that was kind of unique, I, I kept seeing on the muster rolls where a, a man died very early on in the training after they assembled mm -hmm. the, the black regiment here, and uh, I couldn't figure out what, he hap what happened to him. Muster rolls are extremely vague. They'll just say died on such and such a date, nothing. That's how it's difficult to tell whether it was a battlefield injury later on or disease. Mm -hmm. But this one man, I, I was puzzled by it. And that's the thing about history. You got to keep reading and, and all of a sudden things come together. So there's a great book, uh, uh, the Diary of Jeremiah Greenman, who was a soldier in the Civil War, a white man, but he was one of the leaders of the Black Regiment when they came here to train. And I'm reading in his diary, and it says, a man got his arm blowed off today. And that was just about a week before this man shows up in a muster roll dead, and there's no other huh. person on any of the muster rolls. So I, I identified the, what had happened to, to him. Not an earth-shattering thing, but at least in my own mind, Is I knew what happened. blowed up? Is that, that yeah, what yeah, the expression yeah, blowed was? off. He, blowed off. Yeah. yeah so, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, the other thing, this probably, and this I didn't know going in, but one of the common things that was taking place during this time period, is I'm still trying to pinpoint it with a, with a soldier from the Black Regiment. I found it in local and state militias where it took place. Uh, substitutes, an owner would say to his enslaved man, uh, you go and serve for me and I'll give uh. you your freedom if you fulfill my duty. And that did happen, uh, and that is documented in pension records. But there were so few of these men that eventually lived to get pensions and then write mm -hmm. records. So I know it happened. I just haven't come across the document yet where a man in the Continental Army says, I 
I went in in 1777 for my master. Of, of, of what about where were they training? Because I did hear they trained here in East Greenwich. I can imagine them maybe on Academy Field, but I'm not even sure if Academy Field well, existed. I think you nailed it. The problem is we don't have a document that says Academy of Field, Academy Field. We have documents that say Academy Field was used by the military hmm. during that time period. So um, there's another area um, near Academy Field on an old map that uh, somebody provided for me that says training and burying ground. And that dates mm -hmm. from the from the time period, but that's just around the corner. The other area I think they may have camped and been associated with was Forge Farm because uh, now Forge Farm was Nathaniel Green's birthplace. Yes, yes. But Richard Green, his cousin, was the owner of Forge Farm during the American Revolution, and he was pretty tight with the officers of the Continental Army, and he hosted them there at times. And a lot of the fear for attacks by the British mm -hmm. or loyalists also uh, took place around Forge Farm. So I got a feeling that they were watching out that area pretty good. Was the Black Regiment involved in some famous battles that we would have heard of? Well, Battle of Rhode Island, they, these men were only in for three months and, and two-thirds of them probably had not even carried a gun, let alone seen, mm. seen a battle, and that would have been the recently enlisted enslaved men. Uh, so Battle of Rhode Island. And uh, unfortunately, there's a little bit of controversy about the Black Regiment that goes right back to the Battle of Rhode Island. Uh, some of the people that romanticized the story over the years said that the Black Regiment, this really 120-some men that were there that day. There were a lot of disease, so they didn't even have the full contingent there. Um, they supposedly held off an attack by 800 Hessian soldiers that were mm -hmm. serving for the British and not held them off once, held them off three times. Well, that isn't how it happened. They kind of held them off once long enough for reinforcements to get to them and help save uh, the Hessians and the British that were behind them from breaking through the, the uh, American lines. So the fact that that story was exaggerated has caused some even recent historians to criticize the Black Regiment, but I devote a whole chapter in my book on that particular event. And it, uh, they held their own. They just needed reinforcements. 189 men against trained mercenaries. It, right. They were going to get pushed back. Initially. More than 800 of yeah. them. That's yep. a lot. That's a lot. Yep. What about Windsor Fry? I actually met some of his ancestors um, at the old jail there was a, a session and they went to where his burial is because they found yep. it on hemlock on hemlock, on hemlock right yep. that's right yeah uh windsor fry very interesting story i i haven't met uh his family in person but i talked to some of the members of his family on a uh, virtual uh thing i did for the east greenwich uh, historic preservation society and uh, great 
people, and they're very proud of, as they should be. I mean, mm -hmm. his, his story is probably right there at the top of any story for, for any of these men. Um, the biggest question about Windsor Fry, he, he was with James Mitchell Varnum when his regiment marched to Boston for the Boston campaign in 1775. Um, so, he had been enslaved at some point prior to that and somehow earned his freedom and was part of hmm. the uh, Continental Line going back that far. Um, and then at least nine or ten other battles that he was at, how much action any of these wow. men saw, it's hard to, hard to say sometimes. But uh, he was very prominent. Um, and there's a an unfortunate story about him, but I, I've looked at it very closely. He was court-martialed. He was sentenced to die. Mm -hmm. and for, for theft, right? For, for stealing some food. Yeah, and these men were at times starving. Officers almost always ate, uh, didn't trickle down to the uh, rank and file. And uh, Windsor must have been uh, a guy with a good appetite because he went out off the camp on uh, more than a few occasions and got caught. And they finally court-martialed him. Uh, Colonel Christopher Green, who was the commander of the Black Regiment, um, he wrote a letter to George Washington saying, I think we need to make a, an example out of him. He was Green was very frustrated that his men were acting up and going out and stealing food. And he said, I think... I don't think we have a better person to make an example of, which means Windsor was well-known and probably well-liked am amongst his uh, comrades. But then Colonel Green, when push came to shove, he wrote a letter to Washington and said, no, I don't think it's a good idea to execute Windsor Fry. So he got a pardon. Wow. Um, I don't believe there was ever any intention. They were just going to scare Windsor and scare the other troops. Because I found several examples of men that were brought right up, a hangman's noose put around their neck, they're thinking they're about to die, and they receive a pardon right there. Wow. So I think this was just a scare tactic, trying to keep the men in line. John, before we go, are you also involved in the Slave Medallion Project, or can you tell us about it? I'm not directly involved in it, other than I'm a big proponent, and uh, Charles Roberts, who is the director there, I've gotten to know well over the past few years. Smith's Castle is part of the project. Um, we, we were the third site that they placed a monument at, and I believe their intention is to get somewhere around two dozen. And I, They may have just cracked uh, double figures here recently. I should have looked to see what those numbers are. What but do the medallion signify? It signifies. It, um, and I'll try to paraphrase what, uh, what it says on their website. They, they try to promote areas where uh, a history of enslavement took place in, in Rhode Island. And I've, I've made these comments before. There's been conversations, I guess, here in East Greenwich. And it, I don't have a dog in the fight, per se, but I will say this much. Uh, other than perhaps the sites that recognize the uh, slave voyages from Bristol, Newport, and 
Providence. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a site in Rhode Island that is more associated to the history of enslaved people in Rhode Island. And part of the reason I say that is we know who these men were. We know their names. The, the slave voyage, another unfortunate aspect of the history for Rhode Island, but we most often don't know the names of these of these people. We know the names and a lot of the stories of these these men who were two thirds of them were in, enslaved. Probably even more than two thirds. Uh, some of them received their freedom in the years leading up to the to the American Revolution. But uh, yeah, the the uh, slave history medallion project is. Uh, I think it's a very important one. And another group I'd be remiss not to mention is uh, Varnum Armory with Patrick mm -hmm. Donovan. He's doing a lot of work to to tell the story about the uh, the Black Regiment. I are, think he are came, there artifacts at uh, at the Varnum Armory. Upon, he came upon a letter, very rare letters, oh, yeah. I believe, oh, written yes. by one of the oh, members yes. of the Black Regiment. Yep. He was just. Begging, begging to get, to get out. out. Oh, like, that was sad. This is hard. Willing to go back into enslavement, basically, is how he was wording it. If you would yeah. take me back. And that was sad. The, yeah, the sad part is we don't know whatever happened to, to Thomas. Mm -hmm. We've uh, Bob Geek and I have looked at it, and we've talked with Patrick. We've done... Uh, he potentially could have gone back uh, to his enslavers and... It's at some point we don't know because they did have a black man living in their house in one of the first census. So, yeah. John, um, when's your book coming out? Yeah. And what's the title? <laughs> that is a that is a great question. <laughs> so I was rolling along with it last year at this time, and then last year at this time is when they said, "Hey." Uh, we want to elect you as president at Smith's Castle. And I said, well, I can still work on the book. And no, I, I finally said it's too hard to go back and forth. And, mm -hmm. and uh, it, being president there is pretty close to a full-time job. And I retired because I didn't want to work anymore. So I'll get back to it, though. It, well, well, we'll be eager to hear more about your book when it comes out. And I think we need to have John Roberts on, too, from the Slave Medallion Project and maybe get our own medallion here in East Greenwich. I think that was the hope at some point. I, um, I think part of the issue, and I, again, uh, I haven't been in on these conversations, I think part of the issue is where they might put it. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. there was talk of possibly putting it up at the... Varnum House at some point. I don't know if that's where they're at now. I think that. that well, we'll check in with him. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, John, for coming for here today me. and talking with us um, during Black History Month. And we can learn a little more about the First Black Regiment. And uh, thanks so much, everybody. Ta ta. Thank you. been listening to the EG News Podcast, the official podcast of the East Greenwich News Publication. If you haven't already, head on over to eastgreenwichnews.com and sign up for our newsletter so you can be notified of everything that's going on in our community. And also, hit that follow or subscribe button so that you can be notified every time we upload a new episode.